Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The finals are upon us. Tatum, Curry, Brown, Thompson, Smart, Wiggins, Horford, Poole, Celtics, Warriors. You can bet on all of the NBA Finals action with betonline.ag, and you can get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up using the link in the description to this episode. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take It. Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is June 7th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever you may be listening We are coming up on the third anniversary of this here fine podcast, and if you've been with us for years and years, you may remember this guest. His name is Jason Pat. He co-hosts the Cash Considerations podcast on Blue Wire Podcast. It's a Chicago Bulls podcast, and it's fun, and Jason's got a bunch of followers on Twitter, and you can follow his Twitter because he's got good NBA content there, but Jason's coming back because it's the middle of the NBA Finals, and we want to talk to Jason and it's been a while since I got to talk to Jason, so we get to reminisce at the results of the Bulls experiment, which we did like multiple podcasts on last year, around March of 2021 at the very heart of the, uh, or I guess the very peak of the COVID pandemic, I guess not the peak of the COVID pandemic, but 13 months into the COVID pandemic, we talked to Jason a whole lot. I'm very, very happy to have Jason back joining us on the pod here today. So we'll get to some in-depth NBA talk, which will be lighter subject matter than where I would like to start off today's podcast for our A Block, which concerns Deshaun Watson. And every time we talk about Deshaun Watson, I emphasize two important points. It's very important to break down nuance and do long-form conversations about Deshaun Watson and Every time we talk about this story, which for people who are unaware, a sports story of a generation around Deshaun Watson, which is my way of saying it's not the sports story of a generation, but it's a sports story for a generation. And Deshaun Watson's case now is up to 24 women filing civil suits against Watson alleging sexual misconduct, sexual harassment, uh, unwanted touching, and in a couple of cases alleging sexual assault, although in Harris County charges were declined to be filed against Watson and there was no trial. 
but the the civil suit continues ongoing and we've talked before about how there was nearly a settlement because the Miami Dolphins requested it in a trade and it's been a really weird winding saga that has left Watson in limbo not just with the NFL but also in his legal kiss situation and whether or not there will be a settlement and the NFL trying to navigate this stuff and there's a whole lot of victims who we should humanize and empathize with because this is an incredibly traumatic situation which is why I wanted to talk about the now 24th woman who has brought a lawsuit against Deshaun Watson because there have been lots of opportunities to humanize with the victims in this situation and Sometimes you have to actively seek it out, and sometimes it comes directly to you. If you've heard Ashley Solis talk about it at the press conference, a clip we've played many times on this podcast, as she's become a leader and a brave face for the two dozen women who have come forward to bring accusations forth against him, now two dozen plus women, because we know that there are also people who have been affected and are victims of Deshaun Watson's sexual behavior, including the woman who detailed her accounts to Jenny Vrentas of Sports Illustrated, and the Deshaun Watson case, in, in this new 24th case, which there's a great thread by Sarah Spain and Jessica Luther on Twitter if you want to also talk about how rape culture gets perpetuated around this stuff. I'm going to link that in the description to this episode as well because there's a conversation around this. If you want to seek out stories from victims and humanize and empathize with these victims there have been ample opportunities to do so uh, such as the reporting done by jenny Vrentas, the reporting done by bryant gumbel and real sports which we talked about a couple weeks ago where two women including ashley solis gave their accounts and told their stories of of being in rooms with deshaun watson where professional relationships all of a sudden turned decidedly not and how the responses and the trauma of that. You can seek out stories that empathize with you and hopefully push for some measure of accountability for Deshaun Watson, the sexual predator, in this case that is being dragged out over years, but we're continuing to do the best we can to just try and keep up the good fight. So let's talk about the case of the 24th woman. And there are no legal ramifications for this besides the fact that it's one more person added to the lawsuit who's going to collect depositions and then go to trial sometime in 2023 and beyond that point you have not much different it's it's the same lawyer tony busby who's filing the lawsuit it's included with the lawsuit of the other people and this is also actually by the way the second time this week that a new lawsuit got filed because uh last i guess it was friday um, when uh, the 23rd woman filed a lawsuit against Deshaun Watson as well, which brings up the point that we'd been articulating forever, which is we only know the people that we know in this case. We know of two dozen plus people who brought accusations forward against Watson, including the one woman who dropped her lawsuit once she her information was forced to become public. And once she was forced to put her name on the situation by the the lawyer, she dropped the, or I'm sorry, by the judge, she dropped her lawsuit. We know of Jane Doe's story that Jenny Vrentas reported on. We also know that one of the defenses for Deshaun Watson was that they could find 40 plus other massage therapists who could vouch for Deshaun Watson as well. And all of that is to say that there are probably even more victims in this case who are not coming forward because it's still incredibly difficult to come forth and bring accusations against a rich and powerful man on a national stage when even when there are two dozen plus people who are standing together in the lawsuit and Ashley Solis and Kyla Hayes and other people have been the faces 
of this for women who have also brought accusations forward against Watson. So this is courtesy of USA Today, uh, the, the details of this story. And again, there are no legal ramifications. It doesn't impact the NFL side of things. There's nothing to add there. So what I just want to do here is humanize this story because once again, it's really important to continue humanizing this person and continue to feel empathy for these victims even as the trial continues out. And it's hard to continue to be engaged in such a situation yet this is a sports story for a generation there is no precedent in sports for the sexual sexually predatory behavior that deshaun watson has exhibited especially for someone who's considered one of the 10 faces of the nfl so this is courtesy of usa today uh, telling the story of the 24th woman who has sued deshaun watson and accused him of sexual misconduct in 2020 In the newest lawsuit filed this week in Harris County, Texas, a massage therapist in Houston said she gave Watson two massages at her apartment in August 2020 and that he masturbated in front of her and ejaculated during the second encounter. The first massage was, quote, professional, the suit stated, and Watson had had to leave abruptly after taking the phone call. By the end of the second encounter, the woman said she was in, quote, complete shock and could not speak, end quote, after Watson, quote, continued masturbating more aggressively. Her lawsuit says she ran into the bathroom to clean Watson's ejaculate off her. Watson offered no apology or explanation for his conduct, the lawsuit stated. He instead got dressed, paid the plaintiff $150 via Cash App, and left. Plaintiff was left humiliated and traumatized. Shortly after the massage, plaintiff called her close friend to tell her what happened. They both were mortified by Watson's conduct. There were no further massage sessions. She shortly thereafter quit massage therapy. The woman's lawsuit stated that, quote, even though she was always professional with Watson, as she had been with every client, she at times blames herself. Her suit states she suffers from depression and anxiety and has difficulty sleeping after the encounter. The lawsuit seeks minimal compensatory damages, much like the other lawsuits against Watson. Watson's attorney, Rusty Hardin, issued a statement Monday afternoon. We are unable to respond to the new lawsuit at this time. The woman's attorney, Tony Busby, also represents the other 23 women who have sued Watson. And the other lawsuit filed last week alleges he had three massage encounters with a woman in 2020 who said he exposed himself to her, touched her between the legs, requested sex, and asked to be touched in his private areas. Hardin previously told USA Today Sports that the latter woman has no believability by anyone who knows her and has a vendetta against Watson for a year and a half. The other lawsuits filed in 2021 generally say Watson contacted women on social media and then exposed themselves to them, causing his genitals to touch them without their consent, and in some cases tried to coerce them into oral sex. Each of these cases against him is strikingly similar, evidencing a habit or custom. Watson seeks out random strangers on Instagram, as he has done more than 100 times, the newest lawsuit states. And the stories of depression and quitting your job, and it reminds me of Ashley Solis, who during the Bryant Gumbel interview talked about massage therapy is not sex work, I am not a sex worker, And that is a very old-timey idea of this type of line of work that Watson had repeatedly, at least as we're seeing now, close to 100 times from some information that's been accumulated, both from the Watson camp and from this, 
actively seeking out massage therapists for similar types of sexual coercion and sexual harassment and sexual misconduct that will lead to some sort of compensatory damages. So when there's a new story like this, it's important to continue that part of this. It's important to talk about the humanizing of this case and continue to talk about the victims of Deshaun Watson's sexually predatory behavior. I wanted to share that forward because it is pressing and a story today. And uh, yeah. So with that being said, let us transition over to some basketball content with our friend Jason Pat, who you can follow on Twitter with the link in the description to this episode as well. I apologize on the front end to Jason. There is no great way to uh, segue from talking about this type of stuff. So transition. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Here. Start that so I don't forget. Yeah, after a year, the long-awaited return of Jason Pat <laughs> from the Cash Considerations podcast, who you can follow on Twitter with the link in the description to this episode, joining us on the podcast again. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited. Absolutely. I'm excited to do this. Always yeah. love uh, talking about all this good stuff, the finals yeah. going on. <clears throat> all this magical NBA finals talk, and I don't, I don't know, I guess Donovan Mitchell. I, I, <laughs> I guess he... Sure. One thing larger, like, so I, I just, so the teams in the NBA have kind of been the same for like three years. And I've kind of gone on this tangent where I'm like, the top four teams in the league are fine as it is. Like, it's interesting. Everyone else, I just want something spicy to happen. <laughs> like, I just, one of the big players changed teams. Like, I know James Harden switched teams twice, but like in hindsight, James Harden's like barely a top 10 player in the sport anymore. And so I'm looking around and I'm like, all these other teams that just lost in the playoffs, can y'all do something spicy this offseason? <laughs> I say top barely top 10 is quite generous for Harden at this point, considering how he looks now. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> there was still hope when he first got traded that he was still at the top. And then he, what was the thing? The game six, just going outside again. Like he yeah. seems to do lately. I don't know. The Brooklyn, the Brooklyn season was kind of fun, I guess. That was spicy when they had all three of them together, even though Kyrie didn't get to play in that series against Milwaukee last year. It was still fun. So yeah, Donovan Mitchell's giving me just a little bit of hope. Maybe, maybe a player better than him switches teams, but at least it's a little bit of hope that something spicy is going to happen. Offseason's always fun to talk about crazy yeah. stuff. <clears throat> yeah easy fun all that stuff um so i guess we're going to release this before game three of the finals so i guess we won't have another result in hand but like the what have you made of the first couple games of the finals so far um i guess the fact that it's one one probably not that surprising uh i have i guess the, the way the, the way game one played out was surprising i mean the fourth quarter was obviously crazy with the Celtics outscoring wars by 40 to 16 i guess full disclosure here i think before the series i've been on the Celtics are going to win it all i mean going back to the beginning of the playoffs i've been on them to win the titles and i still think they 
will even after game two. Uh, they just every t- single time it seems like they might be down or out. They just pull something out of the rear end. Uh, and they're obviously really good. They've, I mean, they were the best team in the NBA over the last what three months, basically since the calendar flipped. Uh, both at their defense is the best in the NBA. Their offense has really come around. They've had these games where they just absolutely go bananas from three. And we saw that in game one where they, whatever they hit like their first seven threes in the fourth quarter, you have Al Horford scoring 26 points. And it's like every few games, Al Horford has these like total throwback games. Uh, I know I like tweeted out a stat. I think it was like, I think he has like five games in these playoffs where he's gone on 20 or more points. He had like three all season. Like he said, just been, he's been crazy. <laughs> Obviously Derek white has been pretty dang good since having his child. Just he's going full Fred Van Vliet. Uh, Tatum and Brown are great. Their defense, Robert Williams, injury has been kind of, uh, I think could be a swing in the series. I and mean, that could be, I know he like, got smart. I think like got hit or it kind of fell into him yesterday. And I don't know how much he played after that. So I've, I've been on the Celtics. I still think they're going to, I still lean towards them in the series. They got the split that they wanted to. Uh, I mean, I certainly could see the way, I mean, the Warriors, what they did yesterday in game two, uh, we saw some adjustments. We saw Draymond start guarding Jalen Brown a bit more. We saw Draymond just being the nuisance that he is. And I know there were a lot of people complaining about the refs about yesterday's game and that Draymond was getting away with too much. Uh, it's never a series until you have other fans, everyone complaining about what Draymond's doing. Uh, and Steph's been awesome. Warriors are going to need clay to show up at some point. And like there's the whole game six clay thing. And we'll, we'll see if he does make an appearance because I mean, it was pretty rough watching him in game two. Um, they were clearly trying to get him going in garbage time yesterday. And it was just like not happening. <laughs> They'll need him to show up at some point. Jordan pool has been all over the place, a wild ride. Like it's a really fascinating series. And like, I know both these games again has been, have been by double digits. And that's been like, a huge theme of these playoffs it's been all these blots, but I mean, game one was obviously like was kind of crazy just because the comeback and game two was close until the third quarter. These third quarter, the Warriors third quarter thing is I know they've always been the third quarter team. and The Celtics have been bad in the third quarter. They'll have to figure that out. And I mean, I think they were what, 21 minus 21 in the fourth in the third quarter yesterday. Uh, and that was pretty crazy. So like so far, like I mean, like I said, one one, not surprised. Uh, Celtics have been great on the road. Warriors have been great at home. They relatively evenly matched. I've predicted the Celtics that I've spent on the Celtics all playoffs and I had them in this series, even with the Warriors experience, even with the Warriors having home court, just because, I mean, they've been like so consistently good on both ends for the most, I guess not consistently. They've had these games where they turned the ball over like crazy. And that was one of these games yesterday. They had 19 turnovers, 33 points. So they have these random games where they fall apart and just can't hang on to the ball. But in general, like they, there's so like, they have so many solid two-way players. They have two studs in Brown and Tatum. They got these defensive guys. They got, just great defensive players up and down the roster. And I thought the Warriors would have some issues just scoring against them. Uh, but they've been with Steph on the court. I think I saw some stat. The Warriors have like a 120 offensive rating. The minutes without Steph have been a bit problematic so far. Uh, I think Steph will have to play more minutes going forward in this series. I know they didn't need him at all in the fourth quarter yesterday, but game one, he only played like I think 38. He needs to be playing in the 40s if they're going to have to win. So a lot of stuff going on here. Obviously, I mentioned the injury stuff with Rob, Rob Williams, Time Lord. We'll see how he's hold, how he holds up because he's a big part of the Celtics defense. Um, I guess we'll see. Like we saw Gary Payton the second make an impact coming back in game two yesterday. He basically, basically took Andre Iguodala's spot in the rotation. Iguodala uh, looked kind of rough in game one outside of a few just like crazy jumpers that he hit. Uh, so a lot of stuff, a lot of interesting stuff going on in the series going into game three. 
I mean, you hit on like four points that I'm interested in, but like (laughs) one of them that I find super fascinating is like everyone kind of laughed at the Celtics for like reassembling the same team as like three years ago when I guess like coulda, shoulda, woulda made the conference or made the finals. I guess it was that LeBron year. I guess that was four years ago now in 2018. They they took him to a game seven, I think that year. Was that Tatum and Brown's rookie year? Because they still Uh, had... Tatum's rookie year. Tatum's rookie year was that year that they went to seven in the conference finals, yeah. which I guess would have been Brown's second year. Yeah, and yeah. then the year before that was the Isaiah Thomas year. Yes, but like the the thing that people always said is like they have like seven guys who like theoretically could make an All Star team, and they don't have that this year. But like they've got seven guys deep that are all really good, and that's interesting because you know as much as the Celtics have been really, really good this year, you look up in the down the roster, it's like, well, they're not that remarkable, right? But like Grant Williams and Peyton Pritchard were guys who had gotten written off and only in the context of like, they could have had James Harden or they could have yeah. had Kawhi Leonard with those draft picks instead of picking those guys. Does it look bad? But, and Danny Ainge gets fired because of it, <laughs> but like, it's, it's fine. It's recreated that depth that they lost when like Terry Rozier left and Al Horford left and Kyrie left and whatever else it was for them once they had like seven players deep and then they only had three and now they have seven again. And that's kind of a weird point that you brought up. Like, yeah, they Al Horford will give you 20 sometimes, but also what was weird was he went like six for eight from three in the first game. And then like in the middle of the third quarter, he was like zero for zero from three. So we didn't even get to figure out if it would carry over. (laughs) He just shot zero for zero from three. Some of that definitely warriors defense adjusting, getting mm-hmm. out on shooters more because I know, I mean, they made a big point. Uh, just, I mean, I know people were talking about it. It's like they, two, the Celtics ball movement was better. They obviously didn't turn the ball over as much. And just like, they were able to move the ball and just too much. I think feel like over helping stuff like that Celtic. And they were, I guess, kind of like letting El Horford take open threes. And he was just like walking into open threes and they did not do that uh, in game two. They were not letting, I don't, I, like, I wouldn't say that Horford was like passing up a ton of great shots. He just was not getting them. But I think that a few times the Warriors did a great job. Like he tried to go in the post, try to take advantage of mismatches a few t- times. It did not work. Uh, the Warriors did a much better job defensively. They played physical. Again, could you argue that maybe the refs let him play a bit more? Sure. But I honestly don't mind that. Like it's the finals. These are two great defensive teams. Let them play. Let them, let them beat each other up. Obviously there'll be some calls. You got to call ha- major hacks, but uh, yeah. But to the point, yeah, to the point about the Celtics like being whatever seven deep. That's, that's something I've gone back to. Just like, especially in the playoffs, like so much is about like hunting bad matchups and stuff like that. And the Celtics just like don't have many guys that were, like you can just go after them. Like especially defensively, like like maybe like Pritchard, uh, you can kind of go after him sometimes. Like Jimmy, we saw J- Jimmy Butler go after Peyton Pritchard in the Eastern Conference Finals. But even like Pritchard did like de- decently well on Steph in Game yeah. One when the Celtics were going on their big run. Uh, because obviously Matt height wise, like I think that's a Jimmy is six seven. He can shoot over Peyton Pritchard, but like he was holding up decently against Steph. Uh, and he's like he's not. I wouldn't say he's like a terrible defender. Like he's fine. And then basically the rest of the Celtics main rotation guys are all like top level, top notch defenders. Like Brown is okay. Tatum's pretty good. But then like Grant. Al, but hey, people Rob, keep throwing out that stat that all five Celtics starters got to vote for defensive first right, team, yeah, which I think right. was just some dude Marcus in Boston. Smart, Marcus Smart. That, haven't but... even yeah. Haven't even mentioned Smart yet. I know stuff's. I saw a stat. I think stuff's having his way with Smart a bit so far. But stuff is awesome. He's he's really good. Like. But yeah, the Celtics just like don't have that many weak points that you can attack. And that was one reason why I've been stuck with them. And that's, I mean, they were just so good over the second half of the year because of that, because they have whatever seven, eight guys they can really trust and that you can't really attack them. 
don't have many weaknesses. Like obviously sometimes offensively, like, yeah, Grant Horford, Pritchard, they'll have their uh, quiet games. Smart obviously sometimes just has his disaster shooting games where he's just throwing up crap, but like, he's still like, he's important because of how he, uh, being the point guard for the team. Again, he was not good in game two. He had five turnovers, did not shoot well. And it'll happen because like, sometimes it just happens with them. They just have these stretches where they just throw the ball all over. Like we saw that in the Miami series. Uh, so they've been volatile to a degree, but for the most part, like they just don't have any weak, weak, legitimately weak spots with so many other teams you can attack. Uh, and he's even like the Warriors, like Jordan Poole. We've seen the Celtics go after them. He's been out of control at times. He did hit a couple of crazy shots in that third quarter that helped the Warriors, but like, uh, he's like, he's a, he can be a weak point at times. And like some of the other warriors guys, like when they got, uh, like when they had Draymond and Iguodala on the court and the war and the Celtics just don't bother guarding them because they aren't threats from outside, like that kind of stuff. Like he, some weak points that the Celtics, Celtics can take advantage of with the warriors, but stuff has been awesome so far. Uh, he's really just he's be the clear, uh, I mean, for, for MVP, obviously if they got, they think they got to win, but, uh, it just makes the series really interesting. So we'll see what happens as they go. Yeah. To I mean, I know the two games like look different in kind of like the way it laid out, but you look at like the box score at the end and you look at obviously the third quarter for the Warriors, like Warriors offense is kind of like a machine. Like they, they just, if they shoot this percentage, they will score this many points is kind of what they've concocted at this point. And it's and, like, and, it's, and this has been without so far clay. Like I said, clay is going to go off at some point. He was four for 19 game two. So the fact that, the Warriors have whatever put up decent offensive numbers against the Celtics defense, even with Clay being blah, with Poole kind of being a mess outside of a few stretches, with Draymond not providing anything. The offensive rebounding has been really big. Kevon Looney's been awesome so far, uh, getting those extra opportunities. That's been huge. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it'll be really interesting to see if they if they if Clay can show up at some point if he can sustain that kind of stuff. Because he's had a few explosions in these playoffs, but it seems like just. After these injuries, it's tough to expect him to just be high-level clay like he used to be uh, over the course of a full series. But, I mean, if he comes out and wins them one game, like if he comes out in one of these games, games three or four, wins them a game on the road, and they're at least split going back home, uh, and it's, whatever, best of three with two games in San Francisco, and, I mean, they'll be suddenly happy with that. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I think the thing that's interesting about clay is – if this is the version of clay, like maybe he has a game where he just goes berserk, but like, if it looks something similar to this, where it's going to like bite them in the ass is the one game where pool is also off or the one game where I don't know, like Gary Payton is off or Wiggins isn't giving you 20 points. Like that one game where they shoot 28% from the field, that's going to be the one where they need clay. It's weird that you can say that about like clay Thompson. who's like, I guess probably going to make the hall of fame, but like the, they can like clay clay's going to shoot 20%. Yeah. We can still get to 110 points. Like it's weird that they've got the machine working like that. Yeah. I mean, we got Wiggins haven't even really brought him up yet until now. And he's obviously been a stud in his role this season, uh, fit in perfectly as what a fourth option, third, fourth option, instead of being a first or second guy, been playing solid defense, uh, been credit to him for kind of just adjusting his role at this point. And obviously he's not the superstar top pick that, everyone thought he could be but uh whatever like if he is plays a key I mean, he was an all-star this year maybe that was a bit aggressive but if he plays a key <laughs> role as this two-way guy on a championship team uh i will say great. like it was hard to find all-stars this year i know he got to start because he got like voted a starter it, it was yeah. hard to find all-stars this year once he started replacing people like yeah <laughs> like two cavaliers made the all-star team like 
the I, Jalen Brown didn't make it because he was injured, obviously, through the yeah, season. Tough like, start the season but him. Wiggins has kind of been what I like to call the Drew Holiday role at this point, which is like any offense you give us is gravy. Just spend all of your energy guarding Jason Tatum. Yeah. That's basically what they're asking him right now is like, we don't give a shit if you shoot two for eight from three. Just You could not shoot at all. Just guard Tatum and we're good. Yeah. And he's done some nice stuff on the offensive boards too, uh, attacking. I know that his rebounding was always a sore spot in Minnesota. Uh, so doing that, attacking the glass, doing stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, they they gave him the Luca matchup last round, and he did a pretty good job there. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he's just been taking on this role. He's been a stud in his role, and that's that's really all you can ask for, especially on, on this team. That's what they needed from him, and uh, it's worked out for him. Yeah, the Warriors are looking good in that respect. I mean, uh, what's interesting about game two is they're like the the same strategy Boston used against Miami, which is like we can live with Jimmy taking mid-range twos. We can yeah. live with them shooting like free throw line jumpers like they, they change the strategy up, which I guess is counterintuitive because like if you're going into the series, you're like, don't let Tatum and Brown beat you. Everyone else, they can beat you. Don't let Tatum and Brown beat you. But then in game two, they were like, what if we what if we take away everyone else and yeah. then dare Tatum and Brown to beat us? And lo and behold, like they, I mean, both of them shot, I think like what nine for eighteen from three between the two of them, something like that. I don't yeah. have the stats in front of me, but yeah, like neither do I. I it, mean, yeah, like Tatum was fine. I think he had him so he had twenty one in the first half. I think he ended with like twenty eight or twenty nine, but I think he had four turnovers. Brown, I think, made his first three shots, but then was a mess after that. And obviously, that they had the Draymond adjustment, uh, switching him on to Brown. Uh, and I think they had who they have guarding. Do they have Clay guarding Horford? I can't remember the exact matchups, but I know they had Draymond on Jalen at the start of the game. And obviously, they, I mean, they throw so many different looks. I know they go zone sometimes too. Uh, and that's I mean, that's one of the great things about the Warriors that, as well. I mean, so both teams versatile defensively. You can throw different looks at them. Uh, and I, so we'll see with the Celtics if they if they try to make any adjustments on Steph uh, because I know the Warriors were spamming pick and roll with him a bit. I was wondering. Uh, because that's obviously one of the, always the talking points. Like, how long will it take Steve Kerr to start just going pick and roll with Steph instead of like really sticking to the whatever the, the motion offense was, which obviously works sometimes. But like the Celtics are defense with their switching and the way and how their length and all their defensive prowess is like they can switch that stuff. They can kind of muck that up. They can be physical with like Clay and Steph moving off the ball. So like I was wondering how long it would take for it, for them the Warriors start really just spamming pick and roll i know they had, were doing it a few times they did they had had some of them going in game two and stuff had a lot of success i know in that third quarter stuff had a few bomb threes and the celtics were not high up enough uh on those hedging enough and they were giving him some free space and that's you really can't do that you can't really drop against steph curry it's kind of death uh so <laughs> it'll be curious to see if the celtics ever try to blitz him at all or if that uh because I know, like, obviously, when they, that happens, then that you get the stuff with Draymond in the middle of the court and the four on three stuff. Uh, Draymond is not the offensive threat he used to be, but he still is a pretty smart passer. So it'll be interesting to see how, if the Celtics do anything different, try to slow Steph down. Because for the most part, outside of like the one little rough stretch he had when the Warriors just fell apart in the fourth quarter of game one, like, Steph's pretty much had his way with the Celtics. This Warriors offense has been pretty elite against Celtics defense and Steph's been out there. So that'll be something to watch too. I know you kind of play it by ear in those situations, but like the motion offense is so much fun and the motion <laughs> offense is it's, so unique. Cause like yeah, no I mean, one it, else it is works doing a it. lot. It's just like the Celtics are a team that can, that can muck it up. So like if it's working, you do it. But like sometimes if like your half court offense is just getting bungled up, it's like, all right, Steph, here you go, go ISO or go pick and roll and we'll let you cook. So 
is like I know Kerr doesn't like doing that all the time because I think that's obviously sometimes can uh, just that burden on Steph and that kind of usage might be a bit much. Maybe he wears down, but uh, I know when they they need it, they like to go to it, and we've seen it a bit here to start the series, and they've had success with it. Yeah, I don't. So what's the Boston offense turnaround? Because like. I, I don't even know what their game plan is going into game three at this point. So, I mean, so much of it is just, they just can't turn the ball over. And we saw it against Miami as well. As I mentioned, just like they have these stretches where they just commit dumb passes, the live ball turnovers, again, 19 turnovers at 33 points. And then like the next night they'll turn it over like five times and they just completely blow out. And like, we've seen this, we've seen this happen consistently. I mean, the Warriors have done it too, like off losses. I think the Warriors Celtics and Warriors are like historically great coming off losses in these playoffs. Celtics have not lost two in a row in like months. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I don't think the Warriors have lost back-to-back games in these playoffs yet. Have they? I can't remember. Uh, I know the the Celtics have not. They have won every single game after a loss. And usually it's just taking better care of the ball. Their three-point shooting has been incredible. Um, So like taking care of the ball is just, I think the biggest one, they just can't be turning the ball over 19 times. It's well, some, some of that is Warriors defense with Draymond Steph's got quick hands. He's, he's better defensively than a lot of people give him credit for like and Gary Payton second his uh, putting him, getting him back in the rotation from that injury. I think helped uh, and Wiggins. We talked about his defense. Clay isn't what it used to be, but like Warriors defense is obviously great, but some of that is Celtics decision-making just goes haywire. at sometimes is if they don't, they take care of the ball. We've seen, and I think they still shot like 40% from three or close to it yesterday. Like their three point shooting has been, been great in these playoffs. Take care of the ball. Got to be aggressive as well. Get to the rim. Uh, Tatum got to be aggressive. Don't want him settling too much. Same with Brown. I and mean, they got the two, those two guys there and get the ball movement moving without uh, <clears throat> not turning it over. And you get your guys open shots and they've been good at hitting those open shots. So, uh, I think they just got to get go back to what's worked for them, like all playoffs when they bounce back in these games. And it's just, just so much of it comes on and not turning the ball over a million times. It's just turned the ball. I, I laughed at that actually early on in the series because it was like very clearly that people were like, if the Celtics don't turn the ball over, their offense seems unstoppable in these situations. And I was laughing at that because I'm like, yeah, no shit. If everyone's offense stops <laughs> turning the ball over, it, it changes the game dramatically. It's really hard to not turn the ball over against Golden State's defense. It was like one play where uh, I, I can't remember who had the ball, but like they were dry. They got a switch on the Curry and then they like double teamed inside with, I think it was Looney at that point. And then they like, tried to dump it inside to Horford and Curry like stepped back and just like intercepted a pass yes, right at the yeah, rim. Yeah. yeah. I do remember that too. Yeah. Like I, it's, I feel like they've been trying to target stuff. Sometimes we know they try to target pool. Uh, sometimes you could probably be a little too like overzealous doing that. I mean, again, Steph has held up decently. Well, Steph's really strong. He's a better defender than I guess you can give him credit for. He's got the quick hands. He's always been good at getting steals. Um, otherwise, like, I mean, obviously you're not like, I, I don't know if there's any like other specific like things that like have to do this. I obviously just want to stay aggressive, but you just got to be smart. I mean, Tatum and Brown have to just not again, just not be stupid, and they need to be hitting their threes. And this is all very obviously basic stuff, but we've seen them go through these stretches where they look great, where the great where the ball is moving. Like I'm not gonna come say they need to like start pounding Al Horford. Like Al Horford got like no touches, but like you don't want to be pounding Al Horford in the post or anything like that. Yeah, but like it doesn't have to be Al Horford. It just has to be someone. Like it can't be like Horford two points, Williams two points, Smart two points. They need to get those guys good looks again. And again, some of that is just breaking the defense down. Uh, 
I know I was I saw I saw the stuff talk people talking about all oh, the Celtics like didn't have many shots at the rim, but then I saw that apparently Warriors scorekeepers like apparently just don't count any of that. But I mean, <laughs> it does seem like the Celtics like didn't get that much great going to the rim, and like I mean, some of that is on Tatum and Brown to be aggressive, uh, and the Warriors like they have to have Draymond down there and Looney. I mean, Looney's like a solid rim protector. I wouldn't call him some like down rim protector. So like. Get going to the basket, get the Warriors defense rotating over help. Like we saw that that's how they created so many good threes in game one. Like uh just the ball movement was great, breaking down the defense and Tatum shot awful, but he had 13 assists because he was making, I think he had nine assists to like three-point shooters. So like those guys, Jay, Tatum and Brown gotta just get break the defense down for, for themselves. And then for those other guys, those other guys just gotta be ready to hit shots. And uh, yeah, I saw that stat. That was like they had 14 points at the rim, and like yeah. that seemed that seemed a little shocking, but like I, I do remember in the third quarter when the Warriors had like that like 23 point barrage or whatever it was. Like it did feel like the Celtics were like Horford's shooting a hook shot over Draymond, and it's like 1990s basketball where they're yeah. taking like low efficiency shots. Yeah, you, don't really, you don't really want that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But, but like it the interesting part about that is and I was laughing about this after game one, was like oh, the strength of these two defenses is like Robert Williams and Grant Williams in the middle is like the like unguardable at the rim and they can also create length and like deny corner threes and stuff like that. So like there's that. And then for the Warriors, it's like Draymond and Looney in the middle. Like so both teams have the middle locked down, but like the strength of neither of the teams that are playing is getting the ball inside. Like the Warriors are good at getting yeah. free throws inside, but they're not great at like scoring at the rim. Right. Yeah. It's not their best strength. So it's like, you have this, these both teams have these walls inside defending, but it's not actually helping them that much in terms of being yeah. like, everyone's just deciding we're not going to fuck around at the rim. We're just, we're, that's not our strength. And it's the strength of both teams' defenses. So we're just not going to get the ball to the rim. Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, both teams have great three point shooters. The Celtics, I mean, both teams, I think, are like 30, I think 37, 38% from three in these playoffs. We know, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, the Warriors have Steph. Clay hasn't been great, but we know. Clay is dangerous. Pool when he gets going, dangerous. Uh, Wiggins is a pretty good shooter now. And the Celtics have all these guys who can hit threes. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's make or miss league. So much just down these guys hitting threes, threes and turnovers. And the Warriors getting those extra possessions has been uh, was good for them for a lot of that game one when they were getting all those offensive rebounds. I can't remember how many they had yesterday. Um, and I guess the free throw stuff is also interesting. I can't, I don't remember the free throws numbers yesterday either. And how the game is called can sometimes have an impact when these teams are playing so physical. Mm-hmm. And obviously if Draymond can get away with more, that's helpful for them. But I mean, the Celtics also have, I mean, physical defenders and stuff like that. So I don't know. I mean, I, I remember earlier in the playoffs, it was, it was the Memphis one. It was right after, um, it was right after Morant went out. I think it was like game four of that series. And like the Warriors were losing and like Tyus Jones was the leading scorer on the Grizzlies. And then like the Warriors scored the last like 10 points of the game and all of them were free throws. I was like, well, yeah, that's what the Warriors have always done really well is get to the free throw line because you have great free throw shooters. Yeah, exactly. You've got like 85% clay 80. I think pools like close to nine and stuff are like nine are both 90. I think pool yeah. slightly. I think pool was tops in the NBA this year. I think he was right above Curry. But like Steph is like the greatest free throw shooter in the history of the NBA, (laughs) like by volume. So it's like, 
free throws are already like the most valuable points behind dunks and layups. So like if you get to the free throw line, that's the strength of the warriors. So like in, in game two, I guess they didn't get to the free throw line as much and they missed a bunch of them, but like it was smart had four fouls. Brown had four fouls. It's like a a double bonus there for them. It's like you get free throws and you're really good at them. And it takes Marcus smart out of the game offensively because now he's afraid of taking charges and stuff like that. Yeah, when Steph is getting calls, obviously that's huge. Sometimes I feel like he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt because he's just smaller. Uh, but obviously, when he's getting calls, it's basically automatic points because he's incredible at the line. So, so yeah, yeah. Uh, I do have a, a Chicago Bulls type oh, yeah. thing to ask All you right. about because I haven't I haven't talked to you in a while. This whole year paid, played out, and I said going into the year they were going to be like a six seed, and I ended up being right. But like that's where they were, yeah. yeah. I find it in, like like a tier three type of team. And I thought it was interesting that like, so they obviously we talked about last year, like how they rebuild this because Levine's contract was coming up and all that stuff. And like, I thought it was interesting. They spent like $400 million and like the equivalent of three first round picks to build a team that could win one playoff game. <laughs> and that might be the <laughs> peak. But like, I thought that was commendable. They were at least fun and exciting. And I just want to ask you how you felt about how the season ended. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like the way things played out, it was just kind of a weird season because I mean, three quarters of the way in, they were still number one in the East. They were 39 and 20 after 60 games. And then those last 22 games, uh, when you had the injuries with Lonzo, with Caruso, uh, with Zach playing through hurt. And then you were also playing against a really difficult schedule and they, they just got blown out getting their ass beat on the regular and they ended up 46 and 36, which is kind of a bummer. And then they obviously go out in five games uh, against the Bucks, although they very competitive those first two games. It goes, oh man. And then Middleton goes out to go, like, oh, maybe the Bulls can actually like make this a series. Like they were, they win, they steal one in Milwaukee and they, uh, <laughs> And they were close in game one as well. Like maybe they have a chance here. And then of course they just get absolutely pummeled the next three games. Unfortunate. But yeah, I mean, after just what are four years of just garbage, uh, nice to see them try to actually take a step forward with Zach's free agency coming up. Uh, it, was, it was just time to actually do something and just get off their ass and not just be a loser franchise. They tried. They were really good when they were healthy. Were they like top, like if they would have stayed more healthy, would they have won the, been number one in the East? Probably not. I think that the back end schedule was so difficult. They probably, even if like Lonzo never got hurt or if you just missed a few games or if Zach was fully healthy, they probably, I would say maybe they, maybe you add four or five wins to their final and they get to like 50, 51. Maybe that's still, I don't think they would have, that would have been just short of the top seed. Maybe they get a better matchup in the playoffs and maybe they do something there. But um, obviously you are concerned about the injury stuff with, Lonzo's knee is still like apparently not healthy. Who knows what the hell's going on? I said, Zach, you got his free agency. There are these rumblings about uh, maybe he looks to go somewhere else. I still think he'll be back. The Bulls can offer it as long as the Bulls offer him the max. I think he'll be back. He's uh, felt gotten better every year. He's in a big market. They finally showed like that they're serious about actually giving him better players. Like there are those rumors about like, oh, he might be upset that DeMar like took some of his shine. It's like, well, DeMar was better than he was than Zach this season and Zach played hurt and like whatever. So it made sense that DeMar kind of took some of that shine, like, and to put DeMar's whatever 32, like if Zach signs a max here and he'll still end up being like, he's like a one B one, a one B type. I mean, I guess depending on unless they bring in someone even better somehow in the next few years, but he's still one of the alpha dogs. They're still arguably like the face of the franchise. So like that, the, all those, those like rumblings that like he's upset just didn't seem to make much sense from what Zach has said and done in the past. 
Who knows? I don't I'm not inside his head. I still think Zach will be back. The injury stuff, again, worry about that. They do have to do something. They have to add more shooting. We saw that was a huge problem. They could use more size. We'll see if they do what they do with Vooch at center. Uh, he had a down year. He is 30, 31, 32, whatever he is. Still a good player. Uh, the top having a top three of like Zach, Lonzo, or Zach, Damar, Vooch, you have your question marks there because they're all more offensive first guys. Although we saw in the playoffs against the Bucks, their offense was terrible, even with those three guys. Uh, the shoes, the lack of shooting hurt. So they could need to do something in the front court, whether it's front court depth, whether they want to trade Vooch, try to get an upgrade. We saw there was a rumor from who was uh, Kevin O'Connor today about Rudy Gobert interest. Um, kind of uh, go back and forth on that. Gobert is obviously a great defensive player, but the offensive issues would be there. Uh, we've seen Gobert have problems when teams go five out. I think some of that might be overblown in terms of like blaming it on him because we saw the Jazz, Donovan Mitchell getting roasted defensively. Their other defenders are terrible. Gobert would make the Bulls a better regular season team for sure. Is he worth his contract and giving what you'd have to give up to get him? I don't even know like what the Bulls would give up to get like Gobert. I'm assuming Patrick Williams and Vooch. It's like Vooch, Pat, and like a draft, like number 18 pick. Like that does, does that even get it done? There's like Kobe White involved there. I mean, most of those assets aren't even like Vooch isn't expiring and declining. Kobe's not oh. very good. The 18th pick is whatever. Like Pat has shown some flashes, but like, I don't know how, how other teams view him. So like, the Bulls don't have like that much great to offer. I feel like unless they're like trading Zach or like trading DeMar, but they're not going to do that for Rudy Gobert. It's like, who knows? And then there's also like Mitchell Robinson was named too, like maybe a little cheaper, maybe a decent option. There's the Aiton situation. But again, like you do wonder, like how much there's a question, like how much you want to pay some of these centers who aren't just like Joel Embiid, Nicole Jokic, and like Cat, uh, like even Bam. Like Bam is a really good player, and he's a max, like a max contract. But like we saw Bam have his problems in that Heat series or in the in the playoffs because he's quiet sometimes. Like you wonder how much you want to invest in these centers who like have some of these limitations. Uh, and like and Vooch is the same way, but Vooch is on a reasonable contract this last year, and like. So how much better would you actually be if like they did trade for Rudy Gobert or if they did like get Aiton somehow? Uh, who knows? I don't know. Like it, 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 there are other, I think there are points in each direction because like maybe you say like they need to get a defensive guy in that center, kind of just change some up that stuff up there. But then if you do that, you obviously need to get more shooting because if you have like Gobert and Demar as like two or three guys, like that's not much shooting there, especially with the run. The rest of the roster doesn't have much shooting. So <laughs> with Lonzo be- at point guard and. <laughs> Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it would down. be interesting to see like what direction they go. Like if they run if they run it back with like the same team basically, but then you add add some more shooting, add some more, add some depth in the front court. You hope Patrick Williams takes a step. If they did that, would I be like pissed off? I don't think so. Like I think they'd be pretty good again. Uh it would I think a lot of them taking another step would have to do with Patrick Williams. Like if he just doesn't ever become like a really good player, like that's obviously a huge problem. And that's been a problem for the Bulls their entire rebuild. All their high draft picks just really never amounted to anything. And like, mm-hmm. and that, that kills you. Like you draft in the top, top seven, four years in a row. And you get very, and you get just, and they, all these guys turn out to be just like, okay, like your rebuild's going nowhere. Like you need, a, but you then need a you had to give up two more stuff. picks to go get right, Vucevic right. too. Exactly. Yeah. And you, yeah, you could debate uh, like how, if the Bulls gave up too much to get him. And I think at this point, like the magic are probably very, very happy with how that trade has turned out. With they got a Wendell's solid, not great, but then Franz Wagner looks great. They still got another first coming out of that. So, like, 
out of Vooch, who is again, wrong side of 30 on the decline, pretty great value for the magic. Whether that turn, we'll see how it ends up turning out for the bulls. What if the bulls, what they do with Vooch or if they can take another step forward here in these coming years, uh, then it obviously, even if they did give, giving up all that for Vooch, it's worth it. If the bulls somehow become a contender in the next couple of years, if not, it'll definitely look like a big win for the magic. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we'll even we'll even this year was fun, I guess. I, I think the, the part that's interesting is like Vooch for Gobert. I understand that just because it's and obviously you'd have to include like either Patrick Williams or like Kobe White in Caruso or like whatever yeah. else it would be. But like that swap is interesting because it's just like obviously Gobert is a better player than yeah. Vooch. Yeah. More impactful but, player for sure. Yeah, it would at least be spicy. It's not like enough yeah. that it's going to make the Bulls a champion contender. Right. I, I don't think, think it would definitely, it would there. almost certainly make them a better regular season team, but will does it, will it make them like a, a, yeah, a more legitimate championship contender? I think a lot of that would depend on what you're doing in the rest of the roster. Maybe they lose in six back. instead of five. Right. Yeah. It's like, again, we've seen, uh, and I don't want to play, put it all on Gobert, but we've seen him disappear offensively. Some of that is just on guys not passing the ball. Donovan Mitchell. I know that was a big thing. And then, but then we've seen him in some of these matchups. We're just like, uh, Gobert's his biggest strength as the rim protector can be neutralized sometimes because if you're playing five out, he's roaming the perimeter instead of just standing right under the rim and blocking everything. So like, uh, you need some lineup versatility. And the problem is that like, if you traded, if you traded for Gobert and say you traded Patrick Williams there, it's like, well, Patrick Williams represents some of this theoretical lineup versatility you'd love to have. So like, if a team does go small, it's like, oh. Maybe I'll pay Patrick Williams at center. Well, I don't have him anymore. So like you need to find like some, maybe some other, another backup guy who can, who can play some small ball center, who can be a versatile guy like that. So obviously I'm assuming if they did trade for Rudy Gobert, there'd be some other semi-significant moves to be made to fill out the roster, make it a bit more balanced. Uh, Because right now, I mean, but then right now, like the Bulls roster is not that great balance wise. They have one two-way player and he's hurt Lonzo ball. Zach, Tamar and Vooch are more offense first guys. They're oh, like Zach, I think has gotten better defensively. Vooch is okay, but he like needs Lonzo and Caruso there to like, to, and to Pat even as well to like be uh, to kind of cover for him sometimes. So like Bulls needs more two-way players. They need some more shooting. They need some help in the front court. If they do something huge, I'm not convinced that they definitely will, but I mean, AK, we saw how aggressive he was last off season. Uh, so we'll see. It'll be, it, should, it should be fun to watch. And yeah, I mean, overall, like, this season, even though it ended terribly, like the first half, the first half of the season was awesome. Like they were when Lonzo was humming, he was healthy, and, and him and Caruso uh, were just uh, wreaking havoc uh, on defense. And Zach, when Zach and Demaro had it going and closing games out together, like the Bulls were one of the most fun teams to watch in the league. It just kind of all fell off with Lonzo getting hurt, Caruso being t- hurt, Zach not being at his full strength, and. Uh, Let's see. And I guess I hope you hope you get more from Io. Hopefully he takes a step because he was fun uh, for a lot of the season as a rookie. He kind of hit a wall there at the end, but I hope he takes a step too. We'll see what they do with Kobe. I think Kobe's prime trade bait this offseason, but uh, it is, it's so funny about with the Kobe thing because like the Bulls need shooting and Kobe is theoretically like one of their better shooters, but like he just kind of isn't good like overall. So it's like, <laughs> no, it's a him. great way of describing it. It's like, yeah. I mean, he just kind of isn't good. And, and, he, like, and he, yeah, I get it. And then like in two minutes, like his overall shooting numbers, like look pretty good, but then you like in the playoffs, he shot like crap against the bucks. He did that in the regular season too. I think he had that one game against the bucks where he was like over nine from three, like two and just the second half of the year, he did not shoot well from three. Uh, and he just says, I feel like too many games against like good teams 
just doesn't show up. And he's a guy we talk about like who you can target playoff games. Teams target Kobe White's defense because it's just not very good. Yeah, the, the, uh, it's a classic role player. It's a classic yeah. role player. So which... like, like if Kobe is back, like, and you give him another year before it's shooting free agency, like I'm not gonna like totally hate that, but like because they could use the shooting and maybe he does finally like put it all together. But like first three years of his career have just been kind of been the same thing. Like he has these stretches where he hits like sixty percent of three his threes for like a week, and then the next two weeks he's absolutely awful and he's like unplayable. So like that inconsistency has just been such a thing for his entire career so far. And it's like, you don't want to give up on a guy. I think he's still what, 22, 23. You don't want to give up on a guy like that young, but like at at some point you're trying to win games. You just can't be waiting for young guys that long. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with Kobe. I mean, that was kind of the thing with all the picks. You said like all the bulls players, like they, they spent four or five years at the top of the draft and like messed up on every one, but like, Markinen was like four years of like, ah, he puts up points, but like, ah, whatever. They're, you all, know. they're all fine. Like, I mean, Lowry was pretty, was fine with the Cavs. Like he was as like a fifth option. He's fine. Wendell, yeah. Wendell, Carter's Wendell, fine like, right? Wendell had nice numbers for the magic this year. They were better than I even realized when I was looking back at them. But like, as like when you're, when you're drafting and you're rebuilding and the, all your guys are like that, it's like, well, that's a problem is you don't have a Luka Doncic to be like your top guy, or you don't have Trey Young to be your top guy. You draft, draft somebody like that, or John Morant, uh, you miss out yeah. those guys and you end up getting with a bunch of role player, role player, young guys, your team's going to suck. And the bulls did for four straight years. But yeah. But then you can like sign DeMar DeRozan and be like, that's the equivalent of our draft pick, but like, that's <laughs> yeah. only good enough to make you the sixth seed. Right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I don't know. That one kind of sucks. <laughs> I like that they're getting that every team's getting involved somehow on the like vultures swirling around the Utah Jazz at this point. That even even the Bulls are like, well, we could upgrade from Gobert to Vucevic, and that might entice the Jazz because they can compete immediately. You know, like I I'm throwing out Phoenix there. If you just swap Gobert for Aiton. I put that yeah, in maybe. there. Yeah, that would be uh, awesome. Yeah, but, maybe it gives that gives the Jazz two younger guys. Mitchell and Aiton's twenty three only. Gobert's what goes there? Is he twenty seven, twenty eight? He's obviously not old, but like he just kind of reset with something probably similar. in his thirties now. Maybe yeah, maybe, see, I can't even remember. He's been around for I a while. I guess. Uh, no, yeah, Gobert's yeah, played twenty nine. That shocked me. Wow. There you go. But yeah, I guess if the Suns got Gobert, like yeah, you have Gobert with Booker and Paul for whatever that make that. Be, they'd be great. Uh, that'd be that would seem like that would work out pretty well. Uh, that is an interesting yeah. move. That's uh, you know, I, I can see maybe something like that happening. Yeah, you go to Cleveland and be like, "Do you want Jared Allen?" Question mark. I think everyone's <laughs> just throwing their name in this mix of like, how can we spice this up with Rudy yeah. Gobert? Because it's the it's the first time in a couple of years that we've seen a team get dismantled. Like, I guess since the Rockets. I guess this is the last time since the Rockets, like a team's getting dismantled. So like everyone's players are available. I guess CJ McCollum got traded to like the Pelicans, but like other than that, like a team hasn't been dismantled in a while. So that'll be right. interesting. I mean, Rockets, you had what they had, they had Paul first and then it went to Russ and then Russ left and then Harden left. So yeah, they just cut then Russ team. turned into John Wall and yeah, then yeah, and, and they're fully rebuilding and now they have the, what, the third pick now. So yeah, yeah, worst record in the, the NBA over the last two years. With the Jazz thing, though, like I do wonder if they'll just end up rebuilding soon. It's like even if they, whatever they make, they trade Gobert and they get someone like okay, like well, they I get Aiton would be interesting. I think I wonder if that would like convince Mitchell to stay because there's still been all this stuff. I mean, rumblings about Mitchell like asking out at some point soon, anyways. And like the the Woj thing yesterday after firing after or not firing after Quinn Snyder steps down and. Mitchell is like whatever he's unnerved and unsettled like and there have been obviously been they've linked him to the 
the Knicks and all that. Like, will they just will he just end up asking out and they trade like both of them and they fully rebuild? Maybe. (laughs) If I'm Utah, I'm looking at it like I'm listening to offers. If I get an offer, I can't refuse. I'm absolutely doing it right now. Like save yourself the stress, see the writing on the wall. Like you've got three years under contract for technically four, if he wants to opt into his player option, but basically three years under contract for Mitchell with, his value presumably at his highest. I mean, he's like 25 years old. So like yeah. maybe it'll go up a little bit more, but like if you get an offer, you can't refuse, take it. Like the one that I find fun. And like, obviously there's the stereotypical Knicks and heat and places that like Donovan yeah. Mitchell wants to go. One that I think is fun is Cleveland because Cleveland can offer them like Mobley marketing and like the 14 pick. And if you're Utah, I don't think they, like, don't think they would trade Mobley for Mitchell. Honestly, are you sure? Yeah, you I sure? think with Gar with Garland there, I think they, I think they would. Those two are close to untouchable for them. Uh, they could definitely use like a bigger wing score, like a Coro's. He's obviously not much of an offensive player. Lowry's whatever. Uh, Sexton, whatever. He's probably if they bring him back, he'll probably get traded at some point soon. But like, I think Garland and Mobley are pretty lot locked in there. Unless like there's like true true superstar. I don't know if Mitchell is on the level of like bona fide superstar where they would trade one of those two guys. I know, but do they, do they wait and hope that Mobley becomes that? Or are they like at Mobley's best? Maybe one day he'll be what Donovan Mitchell is right now. And obviously they play different positions. So yeah, it's not the I think, same. I think this, the two way potential there with Mobley is too much to pass up. Like right now, I think they want, would want to give him a chance because Mitchell is, I don't, the Mitchell thing is weird. because like, he was so bad defensively in these playoffs. I don't remember him being that bad defensively before, but he, I mean, he just, was getting roasted like i don't know if that was him just not trying or if he just he is only what six one six two uh mm-hmm. so like i like i mean like garland garland and mitchell together like it seems like it would just be supercharged garland sex and they'd be pretty good they'd be fun but i feel like they would they don't want to bail on that two-way potential of mobile because like mobile i think they probably view as their next like one of the next great two-way big men in the nba uh, and he was really good as a rookie. So, like, I think when they have those two young, really young guys like that with Garland and Mobley, I think they want to roll with that and then figure out around them. Like, Allen is obviously just at an all-star season. Will he end up staying there? Like, I don't know. Maybe Mobley ends up playing the five, and they maybe maybe they switch up some stuff. Obviously, they were playing the stuff with their crazy three big lineups. They still have Kevin Love there, too. Uh, they could definitely use an upgrade on the wing, uh, like turning Lowry into – and maybe not playing, like, crazy three big lineup and turning it, him into – a better wing would be interesting. Uh, maybe a Coro develops better, but I would be surprised if they traded for Donovan Mitchell. At least with the, like maybe they offered Allen draft picks. I don't know about Lowry too, but Sexton. I, I guess I don't think they would trade Garland or Mobley for him though. It would be interesting because I guess I just kind of thought like Mobley's a great player, but also I mean Donovan Mitchell's like a volume scorer guy, but yeah. I guess I could understand keeping that protected and all of it. I think since they have Garland there, like as a stud lead ball handler, Mitchell isn't as attractive to Cleveland was, I mean, Mitchell would be taking the ball out of Garland's hands a bit too much. They could obviously, again, if they had like a stud wing, like if it was like Paul George or something like that, probably be a bit more, I'm not, not even him. Just just that kind of type player, Paul George, Jimmy, a big wing who can be a lead ball handler type. I think they'd like that more than 
getting another short guard in there who would take touches away from Garland. I'm trying to think of who else was fun this year. Like, I don't think there's any scenario where like Memphis could end up with Donovan Mitchell, but I'm like, who are the teams last year who are fun, who would be cool to have someone new? Cause like if Mitchell just goes to a place where he's the number one again, then it's just going to like be repeating Utah again in yeah. a different city. So like, I'm just thinking, I, mean, I want the fun ones. I mean, the Pelicans are really fun, but they're obviously working back Zion in. We'll see, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and they have CJ and Ingram already. So, like, I mean, Mitchell is what a younger version, slightly younger, better version of Mitchell. I mean, yeah. so I guess maybe. And they, I mean, the Pelicans do have a ton of assets, I believe, that they could try if they wanted to get in on that. And, like, what do you trade CJ and picks for Donovan Mitchell? I mean, maybe. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I guess. But, like, is Ingram better than Mitchell? I guess maybe because he's younger. For, but I would say. I would probably, if I were to like start a team, I guess I'd probably say I would take Ingram over Mitchell. They're both, and and where Ingram's six nine, I think he just like defensively, I don't. I think Ingram still probably has to get better, and he is what twenty three four. I can't remember how old he is, but Pelicans have potential to be a lot of fun. Uh, so much of that, obviously, also just hinges on what happens in Zion. I mean, they were very. I mean, they gave the Suns some fits. Uh, they're an interesting team to see what they will do. Grizzlies, obviously, yeah, also a super fun team. Uh, I mean, Mitchell and Morant together, that is probably a rough defensive backcourt. I don't know if that's something they would really want to do. They could probably, they're probably another team that could use, they have Morant, they got Jaron Jackson Jr., probably another team that could use a better, I guess Desmond Bain is good, but they could probably use another, like, an upgrade on, like, Dylan Brooks, who obviously just shoots, like, crazy. Brooks is, like, five. Counterpoint, like, Zach Levine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Levine, that'd be like a, that'd be like a, I guess defensively again, you, you worry about that, but like, I mean, that'd be like an interesting place for him to go to a team that would be really good, but like, I don't know how yeah. that would work out, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. There's a couple options that I think are fun here of like the team wouldn't be better, but it would be interesting if they shook it up. Like the Clippers, if you swap Donovan Mitchell for Paul George, I don't know that your team gets better, but it'd be interesting to see it. And the, and the Clippers, if they actually stay healthy for one, should, what would probably be like a title favorite if they actually had George Kawhi or Norm Powell. I think uh, next coming, year for coming sure. Back. Yeah, I mean, they, you could argue that they should be the title favorite next year once they get all their guys back. I wouldn't change it. At least West them. favorite. At least yeah. West favorite, probably. Yeah, I wouldn't or, change anything. For, if I, I don't know. know. I think Denver's also really good. But Denver, yeah. yeah. Well, as long as Porter comes back, and obviously with Murray getting Murray back, they should be awesome. Could probably use a little more depth help. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it'll be interesting. I hope these getting these injured guys back all across in the West with all with multiple teams there. Zion. Clippers guys, Nuggets guys, uh, they'll be interesting. Technically, the Lakers. Well, yeah, yeah. We'll see what we'll see what what they do. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Anyways, yeah. I appreciate the time, Jason. Very yeah. fun to talk absolutely. to you again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me back. Always down to do this stuff. Always love talking about not just the Bulls, but league in general. Always yeah, fun stuff, especially during finals week. Yeah, <laughs> this for is sure. Or finals two weeks. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yes. <laughs> two weeks. Hopefully two Seriously. weeks. Maybe the series ends in five and I can celebrate that, but <laughs> probably two weeks. Probably two weeks. I think this will go. I think this is going six or seven. I said my I, I was thinking Boston in seven. So I think they're gonna win another game seven, another one on the road. Uh I would say six or seven for sure. I'd be shocked if it, if one team wins the next three. Yeah. I originally said it was going to be like Warriors in like six and a half, which is like semantics of like how you get there. But yeah, <laughs> game seven would be cool because game seven, I don't know what would happen in a game seven. Yeah, in Golden yeah State. you never know. I mean, whatever, anything could happen in a game seven. <laughs> Who knows? 
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.